Hello and welcome to the Aligned Leader Podcast. I'm Daniel Jordi and I'm your host. And on the Aligned Leader, we feature some of the most cutting-edge technology CEOs and digital executives in Switzerland in order to empower next-generation entrepreneurs to cut their learning curve and in order to establish Switzerland as a global digital innovation hub. So welcome to the show today. I have Daniel Bjarnet today with us, and he's the CEO of School Apply. We got to know each other, I guess, a couple of months ago via LinkedIn. I was really excited um, to share what you're up to in, in the whole education um, phenomenon that's going on right now. So tell us a little bit about uh, your journey. So what are, what, what's the story that got you to where you are today? Right. So uh, the background to what I'm doing today is that I worked for uh, an international uh, education company and uh, I saw firsthand how, you know, there was a need for uh, democratization of how you choose, how you uh, apply, and how you uh, enroll with uh, universities abroad. So um, together with my co-founder, Eric, we decided to, uh, to build a platform that's similar to what you see in other industries like uh, hotel or travel. There will be, a, we would build a platform that uh, makes all of this easy and uh, very user-friendly. So um, we decided to start School Apply, uh, which is, you know, very simple, a site where you can uh, search, find, select, and apply to any of the major uh, international universities in the world. And we focus on uh, United States, uh, UK, and Canada. Okay, so that's kind of like, uh, that's the company you're, you're, uh, you're running right now, which, is, uh, which we're going to go a little bit more into in a minute. Uh, I, want, I want to take a step back and go a little bit into your journey. So what is, I mean, what got you inspired to become an entrepreneur? So you worked at a, a big um, uh, education company before, right? So what was that? So let's go with entrepreneurship first. What, what was that trigger? What, what inspired you to become an entrepreneur? I, I, I don't think, you know, I ever needed to be inspired to be an entrepreneur. I think that was something that... I was already uh, in my heart. And um, I guess that started when I was uh, 10 years old and uh, washed uh, my dad's car, my mom's car, my neighbor's cars and uh, realized that it's fun to, to build something to make money. And when I started to employ my friends into various ventures when I was 12, uh, I think I was pretty much set to, you know, be an entrepreneur. Uh, I started my first uh, real business when I was in uh, uni at university, and and uh, then my second one just after. Um, then for for a number of years, I worked as an employee in, in tech and and education. But uh, you know, I I always knew I was going to come back to to running my own thing again. I love it. Okay, so you you're one of these almost natural born entrepreneurs or natural um, raised entrepreneurs. I love that. What about education? Um, you know, there's so many fields you can go into. Uh, I very much believe education is probably one of the biggest ones we need to uh, we need to change, revolutionize, whatever word you want to use. But what about you? I mean, what what is it? Is it was there a trigger that inspired you to 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 tackle education, or what was it? I, to be honest, I think I, I stumbled into the industry uh, at the first point. Uh, but once I, I got into education, I, I really understood um, how gratifying it is to work in this field. 
because it's not just about you know providing people with better goods or better services that's, that just sort of makes their life easier what we do you know change people's lives and, and that's really gratifying with education i would say absolutely i love that i love that so i wish i, I, wish I could say i dreamt about it from the get-go but i didn't <laughs> but uh, now when i'm in it i'm definitely here to, to stay in education yeah i mean there's, there's so many different paths people take you know sometimes they stumble into something uh but then it's also you know when people stumble into something some people ignore that stumbling um, yeah. Others say, well, that's really interesting. Let me, let me follow that path. Let me follow that intuition or gut feeling um, that sort of like got me down this route. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, background story. Uh, I love that you're tackling education. And I just want to learn a bit more about the company. So uh, where are you guys right now in terms of uh, the growth, in terms of the stage? I know that you guys are very international. You guys have now you moved the headquarters to Dubai. You started in Switzerland. Now you moved it to Dubai. So tell me a bit more about com the company. Uh, like, where is the, where is it at at the growth stage? And also, what 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 made you decide to move to Dubai? So we we started uh, two years ago and and uh, formed the company in Switzerland. And um, <clears throat> we decided after a while that well, actually, we needed to put our operation somewhere and. Uh, since we were focusing on uh, countries close to the Middle Eastern region, so we were focusing on countries the Gulf states, uh, India, a couple of countries in Africa and Southeast Asia, we kind of figured that employing people in Europe would mean that we wouldn't be culturally so close to our target audience. So, so we thought about various places where, where we would be able to find people with the, the right connections to, to these countries. And uh, Dubai emerged as one place where, you know, it seemed sort of easy to set up a company and, and uh, hire great staff. Uh, one of those things were right. <laughs> uh, we found great staff, but uh, setting up a company was, turned out to be a lot harder than it was in Switzerland. So we're still a Swiss company, but uh, many of our employees are based in Dubai. Okay. What about what about some facts and figures to give people some some bit of a bit of a context? Because I knew know you guys have grown at an incredible rate over the past two years. So give me some facts and figures. Where do you guys stand right now? So we we, we launched uh, our site and service um, beginning of last year in 2016, and at that point we didn't have a single partnership with the university. Um, we literally just had a website that we had built and uh, no visitors. Uh, so we, we very much started from scratch. And um, the first uh, challenge, of course, was to, to get partnerships with universities. And uh, that has grown uh, pretty well. So now we're at 300 plus universities that we officially represent. Uh, we still help students to get into universities that we don't represent. but as of course, you know, good segue to, to start that conversation. Um, we um, are growing sort of both on the supply side and on the, on the demand side, the supply side being um, our, uh, our university partnerships on the demand side with students. And uh, now uh, after the summer, we have had, we have processed close to 1,500 student applications since the beginning of this year. So, you know, we're coming to a point where 
I wouldn't. I mean, we're not big, but you know, we started to make a little dent into the industry and and get a foothold. Uh, the market is is massive. There's five million students studying abroad every year, and uh, I think our service has the potential to help all of them. So, you know, the the vision is still far away, but um, it's it's working, and uh, you know, we're getting the initial uh, evidence that uh, what we do is right, and um, now it's all about scaling, scaling, scaling. Absolutely, absolutely. So, tell me a bit more about that journey. I mean, uh, for the past two years, so. You've built this company um, now into something that is uh, ways beyond, um, you know, you and and what you can uh, run by yourself. Um, right. and, and tell me a bit about like what was what were some of the biggest challenges you you faced along the way with you know that much that much growth and and starting it basically from from a from a blank slate. Mm. I mean, I, I think you know like like, like any entrepreneur, you gotta roll up your sleeves and love doing a bit of everything. And, uh, you know, before we launched, um, both my co-founder and I, we pretty much did everything. We were part of, uh, you know, building the platform uh, as well as, you know, creating uh, processes, backend systems, pitching to investors. And the next day you were uh, producing uh, Google AdWords campaigns or Facebook uh, ads or social stories and you were just all over the place and eventually you, you hire good people that are better at those things than yourself uh, and then it's hard to take a step back. Um, I think we are at the point now where you know we've, we've been able to establish uh, a really good and seasoned management team that can take of, of the daily operations. Um, the, the challenge as a founder, I think, is to allow people to do what they're good at, allow them to make their own mistakes and, and rather sort of help them with the vision and the long-term journey rather than uh, pointing at all the nitty-gritty. Mm. Yeah, that's, I think that's a big one. And so kind of like what I'm heard is, what I heard is uh, like one of the biggest challenges as, as you grow so fast and as you hire people and hire a management team is really... Uh, instead of being the bottleneck, um, giving people responsibility, but not just that, but but removing yourself as the bottleneck and, and trusting people that they're able to, um, you know, not, not not micromanage them, but being able to um, uh, let go of control and give them the responsibility and give them the trust to do things on their own. And as you grow further and further and, you know, you have, you know, uh, division heads and, and, and directors and everything in the company, um, and no, no, you know, not everybody is uh, is a direct line of you. <laughs> then trusting right. those to manage the others, to manage the others, to manage the others. That's kind of like what I'm what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, and and I think a big part of you know coming to that point is is uh, to nurture a really good culture, uh, which is probably one of the hardest things to do as a leader too, because that's not the culture is never going to be what you say it is. It's going to be what people want it to be. So tell me more about that because this is a, this is a huge challenge always, company culture. Like, you know, some people say, well, you know, uh, for example, Google has such a great company culture, we're trying to be like Google, right? I always yeah. think that's, uh, that's pretty stupid because you don't, you don't want to be like any other company, right? You want to be unique. You want to have your own company culture because it's your vision, it's your, it's your right. thing, right? So tell me about, like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you manage that? I mean, how, do you, how are you able to create a company culture that is not controlled or managed by yourself, but still embodies 
your vision and, and sort of like your, your, um, your DNA, because that's what makes the company great. I think, I mean, it's, to start with, I think it's hard to define what culture is because culture is kind of, I mean, it's not, it's not what you put in, in a, in a deck. It's what it, what it's, what's in your, you know, your stakeholders head, um, your employees, but also people that are atta somewhat attached to the company. And, you know, when you, you know, when, when you, uh, look at culture and you want to define it, then you got to pick the nuggets from um, what people believe and, and nurture those things. You can't just introduce something that is, you know, not related to what, what people think. So, you know, we, we just been through uh, an exercise which was really interesting. I spent 24 hours on just talking about uh, our culture and, and there were a number of things that people pointed out that you know they feel strongly about uh, a number of, of attributes that they feel strongly about um, and I didn't necessarily agree with all of them but then at the same time you have to be like this is also their company this is where they work and they decided to work here for, re for a reason and you gotta take that in mm -hmm. uh, nurture that culture and and get it to grow and and uh, be precise i think it's important that you show evidence of, of the culture there needs to be stories examples of how this culture or this aspect of your culture helped your team to succeed in some area mm. or, or yeah. be a problem whatever it was i love that so just two nuggets that i heard a lot of it which is it's also their company, which I think is huge. It goes back to giving, uh, giving up control, letting go, um, you know, giving, um, trusting people. Um, and the other one is living the culture and not just um, trying to create one. Um, sort of like it's this, it's, this, uh, it's this chicken and egg problem. You're trying to create a culture and then live it. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the actual way to go there is to actually live it and then it's created by itself. It's, uh, yeah. I think that's a key nugget there. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's why companies like Google have been very successful at, you know, establishing a, a strong culture is that all the things they point out, they actually do. Like when they talk about your 80% and 20% work time and you, where, you, where, you can, where you're allowed to spend 20% of your time working on pretty much what you want, uh, that's something that they do. That's what something that all their engineers are allowed to do. And managers can't tell them that they're wrong. Um, they have to accept it. So, so I, you know, I think it's, uh, it's all about executing on, on the culture. Yeah, yeah, that's another, that's another big one, I think. It, instead of creating procedures and processes and structures and things like that um, for creating such a culture, it's more about living it in a daily um, atmosphere and, 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 and having a decentralized structure and not a centralized structure, so to say, and, and decentralized processes that each individual kind of like goes about things in their own way, obviously underneath that umbrella of the culture, but instead of having, having a centralized thing, it was more of a decentralized structure. Right. Absolutely love that. So um, I'd like to talk about education in a big of a in a bit of a um, futuristic uh, sense now so you're tackling this this education um um this this world of education from a very specific niche angle 
I would like to hear your perspective. Like, where, where do you think, maybe let's talk about education in general uh, in terms of universities and, 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 and business school and things like that. Where do you think, I mean, 10, 20 years from today, we're going to be? Do you think everybody's going to study at home? Do you think, um, like, universities will still exist? Like, what, what's your perspective on, on education in that sense? I mean, this is a good question and, and a hot topic. Um, a lot of universities are, are talking about this and there's massive investments into uh, massive online courses and similar, similar types of initiatives. I, you know, deep in my heart, I, I think there will always be a need for, you know, physical attendance when it comes to, to education, not necessarily for acquiring knowledge, but you know, education fills a lot of other purposes, like working in in a team or, you know, relating to other people. And we can't replace that with, um, you know, virtual reality completely, uh, I, I, I think. <laughs> uh, so I, if, if I look um, 20 years ahead, I, I, I think there will, you know, the boundaries will definitely be um, more fussy. There won't be you know, pure brick and mortar universities as it is today. I think there will, there will be combinations and, and uh, curriculums will be flexible and it won't necessarily be one intake per year in September. Um, I, I think, you know, you will be able to attend university for some time. You can start a course with someone who's been at that university for three years. You might be able to take some of it online and you might be able to do some, you know, in person. Uh, so I think it's going to cater way more to flexible needs of, of students. Uh, I, I think the curriculum will transform tremendously into a more sort of, you know, um, sort of a methodology of teaching people critical thinking, how to acquire knowledge, and not necessarily studying, you know, like we did in high school with uh, history dates and uh, learning uh, exact years when, when kings were born and died. That part is somewhat obsolete, I think, uh, <laughs> already. But um, there, I, think, I think there's definitely need for, you know, learning the, the sort of um, um, learning, learning teamwork, uh, learn, learning how you, how you operate with people with different backgrounds and, and solving problems together. Uh, one thing that I, I think is going to be more important as, um, as this evolves is also diversity. I mean, we're, face it, we're already in a very diverse world and most people today um, in our type of world, don't look at countries the way as our parents did. They, they think it's uh, simple to move to California for half a year to study. They think it's great to go to, for vacation uh, to Australia and you know, distances don't mean so much anymore. So obviously you need to be more exposed to that already at an early stage. So universities will need more diversity on, on campus and in online uh, courses as well. So you don't, you don't think in the near future or maybe 10, 20 years from today, it's going to be like, you know, people go to university at the same time, they start school at nine, they finish at three or something like that. And everybody has the same uniform and everybody kind of like 
there's uh, because there's been so much conformity, right, that was built into this education system as it evolved in this industrial economy. And now it's moving to, into another type of economy, um, into this digital, hyper-connected, individualistic, whatever you want to call it, economy. Um, right. there's, there's a whole different value system that comes along with that, which is no longer about conformity, which is no longer about, you know, just about being safe or being secure and things like that. It's more risk-averse, more entrepreneurial, it's individualistic, it's freedom-driven, it's pur uh, purpose and passion-driven. So many, many, many more of these things come up now. So um, you think it's going to be much, much more, once again, decentralized, more individualistic, and also more, um, more, more, more global, I guess, and, and less, less borders. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think you summed it up well. And, and there's all, I think, you know, the concept of programs at university will become obsolete as well. Um, I mean, most people today would prefer to pick their own courses uh, if that could lead up to a degree rather than, you know, going into a standardized program that a university has decided is what you should uh, take. Mm, absolutely. Now, I'm curious, like, how do you think the global education system can handle this? Because this is like, a, I mean, the, the, the education system is one of the, you know, biggest, most rigid structures, maybe besides government that we have these days. So how do you think it's able to handle something like that, such a culture change and such a generation change and such a change in terms of needs and wants from, from a global population in a relatively short period of time, which is 10, 20 years for such a huge system? I, I think there's already um, people in this industry who try to, to shake it up. And you know, implementing these type of changes. I've seen firsthand, for instance, one university that decided to um, implement what they call global rotation. And in that concept, you can study at five different campuses in different countries uh, during one program. And I mean, that concept in itself is, pre is pretty phenomenal. Once you, once you think about how that can be implemented over time with online, you know, a university, for instance, a Swiss university could have branches in five other cities and, and maybe, you know, in, on different continents. And if you also could attend, um, in, you know, through, uh, through online courses, well, then it's already very, very flexible. And universities don't need to change that much to, be, to enable this. All they need to do is to say that, yeah, our customers, our students, they want uh, flexibility. Uh, we're good at providing content. We're good at providing courses. Let them decide their course mix. Let's, let them decide what they think is relevant. And maybe, you know, the whole concept of a degree is more about getting up to a certain level than actually taking X number of credits for X number of subjects. Mm. So you also think the way that um, people are graded is going to be uh, changed also in a, in, a, in a world where, you know, like diplomas and papers matter much, much less than actual, you know, real world experience. Yeah, I think, I think you know, certificates are good because it tells someone that, you know, you've learned something and, and you know, you passed the bar. Um, but those don't necessarily need to be that you had you know, that, that you receive a grade for X number of credits. Uh, it could be that you actually know something. 
So, so the exam could be quite different from, you know, from, from what the degree is today. Mm. So yeah, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective on, on education there. Now I'm curious about the company itself. Where do you, where do you see uh, the company school applied to be two, three years from today? Um, yeah, I mean, for us, it's all about um, helping as many students as possible. And uh, in order to do that, we need to cover all good universities um, that we can. We, we have a target list of about a thousand. So, so in three years, we should have covered those. Um, at the same time, I want to see some good growth on the student side. So uh, in three years time, I, I want to say that we can help um, about uh, 500,000 students per year to better choice. And um, that, that would make us you know, significant force for good in this industry. Absolutely. So, so let's, let's, let's uh, take these numbers. So about a thousand universities, about 500,000 students a year. What would you need access to or what would you need to have in the company in order to um, make that kind of a vision happen in the next two or three years? A few things. <laughs> um, of course, you know, a lot of what we do is very complicated. We deal with universities in different countries. Uh, with different admission requirements, um, both national systems, state systems in the, U in the US, and, and also specific requirements to each university and program. And we try to organize all this uh, chaos into, into one you know, understandable process for, for students to really make it easy for them. Uh, so our biggest challenge is to build really good infrastructure to be honest, on you know, the stuff that the user doesn't necessarily see. Things, for example, um, like a um, better form for uh, applying to university. If you imagine that you want to go to university abroad, you don't know where, but you know specifically that you want to do robotics engineering. Well, how many good universities have courses in that? Maybe it's 10 out of the top 1,000. Then one university might be in, in California, one might be in the US, one might be in Ireland, one in Singapore. Then all those have different systems. Uh, as a student, you don't want to send out 10 different applications, so you come to school apply. Um, what we do then is that we harmonize all these requirements from different uh, universities and we present it as one application to you. That is that is pretty challenging and um, something we're getting better at. Um, the next step is, you know, supporting, all, sending in your, all your supporting documents and, um, you know, uh, doing your interview process. Well, at that point, we have to be able to tell the universities that, yeah, this is Daniel, this is his passport, and this is his uh, approved transcripts from, uh, from high school. Uh, here are all the other documents and, and we ship them to, to all the various sources and someone needs to do that. Uh, now we're, we're now experimenting with doing this uh, programmatically so we have AI looking at uh, documents and requirements uh, in order to speed up that process. The next step is that you want to speak to someone or actually universities need you to speak to someone before you, before you can send in your uh, confirmed application. Today, we're doing that interview with our own counselor. So we have people that are trained to 
do admissions interviews, um, talk about your, your needs, talk about your history, talk about your plans for the future. Um, but they do this more sort of general for all type of universities. In our next, sort of in the future for us, I want to see that we can do this by working with students at the, the university that you're applying to. So rather than speaking to us uh, as a third party, we enable you to talk to a student at the university you're applying to. And that will help both the university and you to better choice. So, you know, there's, there's tons of challenges on the, on the process side to enable this growth um, and, and to make the product really, really great. Uh, I mean, we're already good and, and uh, there's not much competition in our world, which is good and bad for us. Because uh, that also means we need to build a lot of the infrastructure that doesn't exist. Um, but I'd say in you know, two years' time, we should have come through that uh, part, and, and then it's when you know, things can really take off. Okay, so kind of like what I'm hearing is very, very smart infrastructure from the IT side, leveraging today's emerging tech like AI and, and uh, these kinds of technologies that really enable you to um, to do things really, really smart in a smart way. And the other one is, uh, well, the, 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 the procedures, the structure, the processes in place um, with the partners, with universities that enables each party and each stakeholder to focus on what they're best at, basically, and uh, enables the other one to do what they're best at and therefore make the whole thing a lot more efficient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect, good. So uh, last question, where can people connect with you, connect with the company, what's the best place to find you and uh, connect? We are, we're pretty open to connecting. So um, best place is probably, probably to go to uh, uh, our site, schoolapply.com. Uh, and there you'll find links to all um, people working for us, uh, to LinkedIn, to Facebook. Uh, we also answer all emails. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, and uh, so it's cool to apply. Um, so, you know, we're, we're open to all channels and uh, we have to be because users are everywhere. But the best place to go is schoolapply.com. So thank you, Daniel, for doing this interview. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for listening to The Aligned Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you get full access to all the newly released episodes every Wednesday. Do you have any topics that you would like us to cover? Then send us an email to daniel at leadersbridge.org and we'll work on it. And if you'd like to learn more about our initiatives, for example, like the CEO Collaboration Day, head over to leadersbridge.org.